Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Thanks very much for joining us on our first Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast of the Week. All McDevitt here with Kieran Murphy. Hello there, all. How are you, Kieran? You sound very serious. Uh, well, it's an amazing weekend. I would have oh, thought man. you'd be. I want to. I want to just get straight into it. I mean, I, I don't see why we need to in- introduce all these all these introductions. Let's just start talking Gaelic football immediately. Oshie McConville's fifteen men behind the ball <laughs> prediction didn't quite work out. No. As Donegal went all Harlem Globetrotters either side of halftime against Dublin. Now, Ushin is usually big enough to admit when he's wrong. He'll be in with the studio with Anthony Moyles later today. And the fact that I, I see in the papers, Murph Cross McGlenn won their championship game by 28 points mm. should see him in a, <laughs> a good enough humour that he'll be able to take the. I, I would think baiting. that. I would think that, you know, it's not a it's not a bad end to the weekend, you know, for Ushin. I mean, sure, the predictions didn't go all that well. Didn't go all that well for Anthony either. So I'm looking forward with interest hearing what the two boys made of uh, the weekend's There was a moment in the second half at Croke Park, if you remember this one, it was picked up by the cameras. Owen O'Gara just missed a fairly scorable chance and his marker, Amy McGee, seemed to have a little word in his ear. I'm not sure who started the sledging here, mm. but uh, possibly McGee was just offering some constructive advice. Who knows? Mm. O'Gara spends the next 15 or 20 seconds. You could see, probably thinking, I shouldn't be bothering getting involved, yeah. but... Ending he's up. counting to ten and then has to start <laughs> counting to ten again. He's, just, he's deep in conversation with McGee. You're looking at a this suits Donegal down to the <laughs> If Onogar is talking like that and yeah. getting involved, I'm pretty sure the defender in this case, Amy McGee, who we'll be speaking to, the reason I bring this up is we're going to be talking to Amy McGee shortly on the program, mm. would be happy enough that I've got him. I've got him here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, in a situation like that, there's really no way that Amy McGee is losing out there. Um, but now, in fairness, as you say, maybe it's. Uh, you know, maybe you don't, don't want to lean back into the shot a little there. I mean, the more you lean back, the, the less control you're going to have over the shot. So maybe, you know, next time around. I don't think that that's what he said. I'm not sure if Eamon was one of the two players who O'Gara charged through. If you remember before, Bert, one of um, Connolly's incredible points, one of the first half where he dummy solo, mm. arguably twice dummy solo, and then stuck it over. Just before that, O'Gara had gone full on O'Gara style headlong into a couple of tackles um, so I'm not slagging on O'Gara here he's had a good year in, in a lot of ways but it was just one of those days yesterday where it didn't work for him and I think the players 
who were playing against him seemed happy enough to take on that kind of style. It was a, a small battle within the overall game. But McGee's one of those players who, I was going to call him an unsung hero. I guess defenders, certainly in the full back line, usually are unsung. But the likes of McGee deliver top-class performances almost every single time they play. Yeah, yeah it's kind of, yeah, maybe unsung heroes. It's a different it's a kind of, yeah, it's yeah. a different kind of acclaim uh, that he gets. But I, I just, there is an element of the fact that the two the the two McGee's play side by side alongside each other, there is nearly like a cult status that is developing around, you know, the kind of Hell's Kitchen type, <laughs> the Hurt Locker, Darren Maloney, uh call. I, I don't know, Darren Maloney used the phrase the Hurt Locker. I think he was just talking generally about the Donegal defence, and I suppose the full back line in particular. Um, and it was the great Tipperary hurling team of the 1950s that had a full back line, the nickname of which was Hell's Kitchen, um, which is... A pretty cool nickname for... That's about the coolest thing to come out of Ireland in the 1950s, I would say. Um, Should we be giving, uh, maybe anointing some name for the Donegal defence like that? Purple People Eaters, as the Minnesota Vikings <laughs> defensive line were called in the 70s. The greatest show on turf. Ah, uh, we've, we've both made that gag in the last three months. So we Towards need to Towards the end of the show, we'll be talking about a story that emerged from the Munster setup over the weekend, as reported in the Sunday Independent yesterday. You know that horrifying moment when you send a text or an email to the wrong person? Mm. You think, straight away you're thinking, is there a recall facility? Does that actually exist or is it something I've just vaguely heard about? How do I get this back? Well, that's exactly how Munster's management would have felt when they accidentally circulated a player review document to the players, Hmm. including colour coding, indicating whether players were first or second choice. This is according to the piece in the Sunday Indo. One player allegedly, apparently, the management questioned why he was in the squad at all. There were also claims that one player had been classed as mentally weak and another being on the gravy train. Now, the source that they had in this story denied this on the record. So, um, well, the source, the source's name wasn't on the record, but uh, they talked to the Sunday Independent and said that, no, gravy train and mentally weak weren't used, but the rest of it seems yeah. to be in there. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty strange one. I mean, when was the last time you sent a text to the person you were talking about in the text <laughs> yeah. as opposed to the person... You know, it's, it I haven't, done, I haven't done it in a while, but I have done it before. Yeah, usually, yeah. usually that turns out to be something relatively inoffensive. Like you text a friend saying I'm meeting somebody later, and it yeah. might be the per- you've te- texted to that person. Yeah, which is then you realise, oh, thank God that wasn't something worse. Yeah. You're actually really happy then, mm. you know, because like maybe that's that's taught me a lesson there. But it's a victimless crime, you know. Just remember. Always send the text to the person you mean it to, not to the person you're talking about. We'll talk to Jerry Thornley about the Munster story and Johnny Sexton's injury a little bit later on. Ken Early is at the Republic of Ireland team base at Malahide, where he's heard from Martin O'Neill and the returning Shay Given. You'll hear from them the football podcast later on, as well as reaction to Radamel Falcao's move to Man United. Ken will be in for all of that. Now, Donegal defender Eamon McGee joins us on the line. Eamon, congratulations on the win, first of all. I know it was a semi-final and not a final, but I'd imagine there was a pretty sweet feeling in the dressing room afterwards. Ah, listen, it was a it was a sweet feeling, you know. But I, I think that the the lads are old enough now to realise that it, that it is a semi final at the end of the day, and we savoured the the few minutes after the final whistle. But it was a case of just um, not not overdoing it, you know. Yeah, it seemed like um, this was a massive shock to everybody else in the country, but not to the manager, the the selectors, and the panel in Donegal. No, not really. Like in fairness to Jim, he's done a massive amount of work on the, on the build up to the game in the last three weeks, and probably let's be honest about it, in his own head, he's been building this game for for a long time, you know. And um, 
we we looked at the dubs and we looked at uh, where we could take them on and where they would try to take us on and uh, listen, we we it came up right for us. So when you say, Eamon, that he would have had it in his head for a while, you mean he would have thought that if Donegal were to win in All-Ireland this year, Dublin would probably be there somewhere along the way? Listen, I'm not going to start saying what maybe maybe he didn't, or, but I'm just presuming that Jim McGuinness uh, and the way his preparation goes and how detailed it is that uh, he would have had the Dublin game. If he was the one in All-Ireland, they'd have to get past Dublin, so... I'm sure this was a wee bit of preparation done beforehand. That's one for the manager. I suppose players can only really think about, uh, think about to, to use the cliche, the next game. But that, that is usually how it works. I'm just wondering, you spent your few days in Johnstown House. A lot of people are talking about that now. And it's almost mythic already, maybe, what went on there. Was it mostly about uh, the mindset there? Was it about instilling the belief that you guys have talked about? Or was it more tactical work that was done over those few days? Um, I don't think. The, the belief was there. Like, we, we, we've worked hard now this last coming on four years and the belief was there and I was just uh, more tactical and just looking at the opposition and just doing a bit of work amongst ourselves getting away from Donegal and uh, it was just all about the preparation and tactically. Did you find it a little strange that um, you were such outsiders given the fact that you had won that you were all Ireland champions less than two years ago? I didn't I thought it was a bit uh, I think it was seven to one or eight to one the odds yeah. that it was bandied about now and it was a wee bit like but crazy odds now. You would if you were to watch any of the premiership games and you got an eight to one and a two horse race you would just throw a fiver on it now. But uh, <laughs> listen at the end of the day the boys can only go by what they see on the build up to the game and the dubs were flying and they were the best team on show for the whole year. And we we took a, a different kind of route down through into the semi final, and I think the fact that like we were up against all other teams coming up to it, and you know that is that wee bit more open against against Dublin helped helped us too, you know. Yeah, it certainly was, and that's maybe what surprised some of us, particularly when Dublin went ahead by five points quite early on, because maybe people foresaw Donegal defending early on and getting into a lead and maybe defending, but it didn't happen that way at all. And that's maybe where the belief is more difficult for a lot of teams. You might think, oh no, here, you know, we've heard a lot about this Dublin team, they're five ahead of us, but you guys never seem to waver at all. No, I think we kind of knew ourselves that they were going to come at us, you know, and uh, it was a case we probably let ourselves down a wee bit that they, they got the few scores and got a bit too far ahead of us and we were lucky enough for them to a few goal chances. But uh, it was a case of just absorbing whatever whatever they threw at us and uh, try to tag on and keep in there. And I think it was a, a big psychological blow for Dublin to be going in, after all that they did, to be going in a point, point down now. But. Were you encouraged, Eamon, by the fact that even when they were building that lead, they were having to pull out some pretty amazing scores to do it? And, and I, I, was there a sense that, OK, they're ahead of us here, but they're not cutting through us in any way? Uh, to be honest with you, you know, like we, we didn't, we didn't think that would be on the radar as much as it was in the first in the first uh, fifteen minutes, and it kind of took us took us by surprise. And uh, once they started to miss it, we kind of got a bit encouraged. They missed a few shots after that, and we we got a bit of encouragement from them misses now. So it kind of caused by surprise them them long range points. Uh. Can you get a sense of that when you're playing against opponents that say by half time or early in the second half? Can, can you sense that maybe they're dropping their levels a little bit because of the pressure you're putting on? 
No, no. To be honest, I, I, I never got that sense. You know, I just thought that we're against a great, great team here. And uh, even when we were seven points ahead, like that, there was always that threat. Like you had the likes of McManaman and Connolly there, and there was always that threat that they, they could tag in a goal or two here. So it was never never a case of these boys are, aren't at the races today. You were just always worried about them. There's a physical threat as well. You're on Ono Gara for a while, and there's, um, I suppose, there's other players like that. Do, do you enjoy that kind of that side of it, Eamon? Yeah, I love that side. I, I just don't like to see the wee flyer coming in. You know, <laughs> I love to see the big man's coming. But uh, listen, it was a it was a good day. We were well protected, and the boys did a good job out the field. And myself and Neil and Paddy McGrath were uh, were tight enough inside. So. Yeah, we're happy enough. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of people um, are are looking back now at how it ended last year, and you know, the quarterfinal was such a bad day at the office for for the whole for the whole team. I mean, how do you get the belief back? That unshakable belief that we saw on the pitch yesterday. How do you get that back after um, uh, a defeat that was as as hurtful as the one last year to Mayo in the quarterfinals? Um, I think a lot of it's just basically down to Jim McGuinness and. Uh, he sat us down and we quickly got over, recovered from that defeat. He sat us down after a few months we were back into the into the hard graft, you know, and although it was in the back of your mind, it was it was a case of just getting back into the year and uh, trying to redeem yourself and it was very very, very low point for us as a as a team after that Mayo game now, but it was just Jim done unbelievable work, you know. Uh, can I just ask you lastly, I mean, you've got a few weeks now to prepare for an All-Ireland final. You've been in the, this position before. Is it all very enjoyable from here on in? Is, is there a lot of hard work to be done? Can you just, can you savour it at all over the next while? Or is it just a lot of hassle with people looking for tickets and uh, stuff going on around the outskirts of it? Listen, I remember from the last time, 2012, there was a, there was a clamour for, for tickets now, but... In fairness to us, we kind of we separated us separated well from everything that went on. Like, and we got away for a week down, down to go there to Johnson House, you know. So that was very very important. But um, I think uh, there's there'll be plenty of time to savour it after after whatever you know. And you have to realise that it's three weeks uh, of hard graft and big preparation. You know, it's the same way coming up to the Dublin game. We put the we put the hard work and we prepared well. So it's just a case of getting that there right for Kerry again now. And, you know, if all else fails, you can just tell the family Neil's taking care of all the ticket requests anyway. So that's what I know. They do any problems at all. I just said Neil starts. Just talk to Neil. Yeah. Eamon, sounds great. Listen, congratulations and good luck in the final. Thanks for talking to us. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Sounds like something you've got experience of there, Murph, pawning off any awkward family related issues to the other brother. (laughs) Just give it it to Neil. That'll that'll be fine. The point that um, Eamon raises about McGuinness is interesting. That. He didn't want to go into it in, in too much, and he, he said he didn't want to speak essentially mm. for Jim McGuinness. But uh, it was quite interesting to hear Eamon say, "Look, Jim probably would have had a plan for Dublin from quite early on in the year. Would have figured out that this was the team. This is the team that had to be beat, or beaten, I should say, on the way to an All Ireland final." And people are talking about this camp that I asked him about there, Johnson House, the five day camp. Jim McGuinness wasn't arriving into that thinking, great, I've got five days to work out what my plan is going to be. Yeah. Jim McGuinness had his plan going into the camp, and he had five days to convince the players, I imagine they were convinced straight away that it was the right one, but they had five days to essentially fine-tune it. Yeah, it? yeah. And uh, Well, Jim McGuinness, Jim McGuinness does do a lot of waiting around in airports, I would have thought, you know, flying back and forth from Glasgow. Uh, and he's been doing that now for about 12 months, and he's also had 
12 months since the quarterfinal last year to know that <laughs> he's probably going to have to beat Dublin to get back to the, the top of the mountain. I'd know? actually totally forgotten about the Glasgow, the criticism last year that yeah. McGuinness was taking his eye off the ball, he was over at the Celtic job and this was a big part of the issue. You just forget about all these things when a year later it turns out that that doesn't seem to have been the major issue. In fairness, he did talk last summer about the fact that there were a lot of club games on, he was losing players to injury through that, just didn't have a lot of the players for enough time. And again, he's proven this year that if he has them for enough time, he'll get them to play uh, a seriously impressive game plan. We have got Usher McConville and Anthony Moyles with us in studio now, lads. It's great to have you in. Thanks, Owen. Thank you, Owen. <laughs> Surprised to be here. <laughs> Probably your last ever. Well, we did have a tweet from Donal Bray. Owen, can you ask Anthony and Ushin if this weekend should signal the end of football punditry? Wrong, 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 wrong. Well, let's just start, Ushin, and get it over, get it out of the way. We didn't quite see the Donegal game plan of 15 men behind the ball. That you well, I think the writing was on the wall, Owen, very early on in the weekend whenever Lee Keegan uh, got, uh, <laughs> got his ban <laughs> overturned. Yeah. That was, that was the night. start of it. Yeah, Thursday <laughs> night was almost the high point. Uh, then, <laughs> the Lee Keegan news was the best, the best time and of your if, weekend. If people hadn't heard that, the boys here last week were making the point that Mayo should not waste any time on an appeal over Lee Keegan and mm. concentrate all efforts on, on the game. They shouldn't have, because I think they would have won the game. If, no, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> look at it, it was. What about Donegal? Let's, let's talk Donegal first. And Donegal first. Owen, oh, yesterday we had a we had a championship match and we went and we were warming up. Basically, we left on the bus at half three. We listened to a little bit of it on the way down the road. Okay, so go play your championship match and I come home. And I know what the result was. And I'm watching the match, uh, the whole match back last night when I come home. After 20 minutes, I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, how did Donegal win this game? And for to watch it unfold and to turn around the way it did, uh, it hinged on a couple of things. I think uh, Dublin, uh, to a large extent, were architects of their own downfall in that those couple of fairly simple goal chances um, a little bit more composure and you know they could have scored those two goals and I think it's a different game then but Donegal's turnaround and what wouldn't belittle it in any way was absolutely fabulous uh, McGuinness for me uh, tactics is one thing and he, I think he got it right tactically um, and I think uh, in many respects Dublin got it wrong tactically but can I make the point just that over the last number of years, and I watched Donegal from the first year McGuinness took over an absolute, effectively a pub team. That's what Donegal football was. They had come across, played against a poor uh, Armagh team and got beaten by 13 points. They looked uh, abject, to say the least. And his man management skills is the first thing that I would look at and say, how did he get what he's getting out of those players? Uh, he's brought players on. Um, and tactically, he's, he is very, very astute. To play Neil Gallagher full forward is just like no one could have seen that coming. And uh, you know, just all over the field, they just looked, they looked, they looked like as if this was the game that they had almost waited on all year and that they were preparing themselves for. But as far as McGuinness goes, I think, I still think, and I still think we may have overegged Dublin slightly, but. Having said all that, I still think that what McGuinness did yesterday, coaching, management, tactical, was probably the, one of the best things we've ever seen within the GA. And I think the, his quotes after the game, I don't, and this is the thing about him, right? I don't know what I'm more interested in. The, the stuff where he talks about 
we had to hold on to the ball and we didn't want to kick the ball. Like, all of the tactical nuances, right? Mm. Uh, and that's brilliant and huge. But am I more interested in that or am I more interested in how he managed to get this team to believe that they could beat Dublin in the first place? And so, you know, you kind of divide the great managers into, you know, there's the tactical guys. Yeah. You know, there's like the Bill Belichick guys, you know, like the guys who are just all about the numbers. And then there's the man management guys. Yeah. And McGuinness is... Both. Both of them. Yeah. But I think what he probably uses an awful lot is is the belief in him and the belief in the system and the belief in what they play. Like, I mean, he's brought them yeah, there before. They're linked. Yeah. So he has changed them, as, as Oshin says, from a pub team, from a team who used to put the jeans in the bag, you know, to go up to Dublin and go on a night out. And, you know, like, I mean, who would fold up the tent fairly early and say, well, that's it. You know, we're, we're out of here. And... If that mentality was still there, they would have folded up the tent after 20-odd minutes and Dublin would have won by 16, 18 points. But he has, he has linked it and said, if you come along and you believe in me, which, which they have done, and continue to believe in me and continue to believe in what I'm going to actually put in place, well, then we will win this game. So it's not even a situation of you will beat Dublin. It doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter if it's Dublin, Kerry, you know, it doesn't make a difference. It's like, believe in the system, the system will actually get us there because they never even abandoned us. They stuck with us when it wasn't working for 20-odd minutes, probably even a little bit longer than that, um, and then it came right. But the belief in every one of them, I looked at them, there was no panic. 30-odd minutes gone, Donegal had just started to really come into it and Stephen Cluxton had a kick out and he started throwing his hands up and down it's the first time I've seen him doing it in a while and going crazy that no one was running for the ball Donegal even when they were seven points down never saw Durkin do that never saw anyone do it there was just utter belief in don't worry we'll get back into this even when Dublin had a chance to go eight up um, you know so there was that is I think what he brings Murph in the sense of he just says look if you do believe in me, which they absolutely, obviously do, and he's making, I don't diss the sandbag, but there's there's fellas in that team who are who are average enough players, um, you know, like I mean, but he's just like McNeilis is just absolutely, like I mean, he he was phenomenal yesterday, kicked a few scores, grabbed kickouts, like pretty much bullied Keno Sullivan for a game, and we haven't said that in a long, long time, um, and. He's he, he just he's 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 doing a remarkable job. Yeah, it's just it's chicken and egg, isn't it? I mean, it's uh, do you believe in the guy first, and then whatever tactics he says, if you operate that one to one hundred percent of the letter of the law, is you know that is that it, it doesn't matter how good or bad the if the game plan is you know seventy five percent right and the players do it one hundred percent. Then you know that's gonna that's probably gonna get you over the line. Well, I you think know? a big part of it all summer is that there have been managers before who have been good tactically and have been good from a motivational point of view but this is his fourth year and last year it went belly up for them at, at that point usually the fact that he's stuck with largely the same amount of players and hasn't lost them along the way I think is maybe as convincing because it's a lot of guys come in in sport maybe in the first year I'm sure Anthony and Ocean you've probably seen it they're all this is great this guy knows his stuff and then after a year or two particularly you if you have a bad year you start it, to yeah. question whereas nobody's questioning anything that, that he's doing with his sense of things No and, and I think that's McGuinness's best trick is the fact that he has kept them in the frame of mind that they're in and, and probably you can stick Michael Murphy in there because he has definitely helped them because he is it seems it seems a very very close relationship, and um, they seem to bounce off each other really well. They seem to inspire each other. He's a good choice of captain. Uh, he is sort of the McGuinness on the field because he's willing to do whatever it takes in order to get his team over the line. 
Um, is he that good leadership wise? Because he's funny enough, quite softly spoken off the field. But you reckon yeah. on the field, yeah. he's on, nasty. on the field, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. like I mean, he's the hits he put in yesterday. Down. Yeah, like I mean, sometimes he increased the tempo at times when it needed to be increased. There was a great little cameo there where he was going at McCauley. McCauley thought he was going to kick a point, and then he just took, dropped the shoulder, went inside, got a score. But the one thing that Ushin is right about, um, um, this is just this goes back to. It's kind of like the same, like the Kerry mentality. There's no defeatist attitude with McGuinness. He he doesn't even take in win or lose. He takes in tactics, strategy, and believe in the system, as Murph has just said. Anyone who doesn't believe in the system probably gets jettisoned from it. And we saw that early on in the year. You know, there was a few fellas dropped. So, like, I mean, he, he, he keeps a unity and he says, look, lads, it's my way. Or it's it's it, and that is it. But I wouldn't say he puts it in those terms. But it's like this is the way we're going to go. You have to believe in me a hundred percent. If you get upset or you get annoyed that you're not having game time, well, you know. McGuinness said afterwards that, that every single county has 15 good footballers. If they're all fully focused and they've got the heart and determination to play for their county, and there's a good game plan there, then you're not going to be far away. Which raises an interesting point about how important the manager is in these things. I mean, if, if Jim McGuinness was managing Galway. Next year, Murph, would they win in All-Ireland? Yeah. Each of your counties, Meath, would he take Meath to an All-Ireland? I sent, actually, Nigel Crawford a text last night, and I'd said, uh, he said to me, what a manager, what he's getting out of those players. And I said, imagine we had uh, Jim McGuinness for a certain number of years. Like, I mean, and I don't, I don't mean just Jim, I mean the mentality and, and the nuance of Jim McGuinness. Um, because I was just thinking about it. A lot of teams went in against Dublin, including me this year, to try and contain Dublin um, with, I would say, a slightly defeatist attitude. That wasn't there yesterday. He, he went in with a game plan and he said, this is how we are going to win this game. And a county of Mead's level be, you think, but, challenging but, but for Northern Ireland could, to win could, could Mead have not played? Could Mead have, if they set up Craig, could Mead have played exactly the same as Donegal played yesterday? It po- well, it depends how much time they would have had to but implement but, the game plan. But, but, yeah, but, but, but like... It, 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 they, ha- they probably have the one or two forwards who are similar enough. They, you could pack the defence, and then you've got a big man in midfield, a Gallagher, who comes out and, and looks for flick ons and stuff. It is like it's possible. Armagh could easily have done it. Armagh, possibly, yeah. <coughs> like <laughs> Donegal started off the season. I've, I've watched, I've seen every game uh, of Donegal this year live, apart from yesterday. And to be honest, they haven't inspired me. I've never thought at any stage in, in any of the games. Probably even if I'm honest in the Armagh game, I always felt as if they're gonna get a, they're gonna get that score. They're gonna get those that score to get level. They're gonna get that score to get ahead. But before that, like like the the also final like wouldn't have inspired people. Like I mean, I'll be honest. When I left the also final, I thought well, fair play to Jim McGuinness. He's after winning a, an also title with them, and probably that's as much as he could have hoped for at the start of the year. And for them to be in an all Ireland final, having beaten the Dubs the way they beat them, poof, leaves me absolutely flabbergasted. I was, I, I'm still not. I'm still not I, still, I still can't get my head around the fact what they've done. And we talk a lot about McGuinness and stuff, but the players have to implement it as well. And, and they, I thought they were magnificent in the way they implemented it. Um, whatever they did in those five days um, that they were together, it seemed to be. They seemed to have done a lot of work on what they've done. And the thing is, if you're not doing, as Moise says, if you're not doing what McGuinness you know, has laid out for you to the letter of the law, then you won't be there. There's players on the bench, and I, I, I'll take Brick Malloy for, 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 uh, for example. In my book, burst onto the scene three, four years ago, uh, probably one of the best forwards around, has played very little on the McGuinness. When I looked at the, at the, uh, at the tape last night, 
and I watched at the end of the game. He's there and he's jumping up and down and he's cheering. He he didn't even get a minute yesterday. That says a lot for his mentality. It says a lot for what's going on within the camp because I know if I was in the camp and I was that talented and I hadn't got that much uh, game time, I don't know how happy I'd be. I would be happy that McCarthy was in in an All-Ireland final, but... Um, would it be happy that it was in the yeah. year of <laughs> yeah. but, be, but, but that is the thing about it because all you need and I've been involved in, in, in squads and Ushin has as well you get one or two bad apples yeah. it can cause an absolute cancer through a team you know you get a few fellas on the, on the sub saying well I should have been there and I should have done this and that and all of a sudden it, it, and it's amazing how much and all it takes is one defeat and all of a sudden that grows and grows and grows fellas start to question things you look at the situation such as Brick Malloy, you look at the different situation that has gone on, the, every single one of them, I can only imagine, Mark McHugh kind of alluded to it yesterday about calling players. I'd say he does more work, I don't know yeah. now, but I'd say he does more work on the fellas who are actually on the bench and fellas who are out of favour than he nearly does. Like He's obviously a guy who, as Ushin says, man management is massively important. Like He's a very intelligent fella. He's done an awful lot of work in this area. So he knows what makes fellas tick and what keeps them happy. And you have to keep him happy because essentially his game plan uses 17, 18 players. That's yeah. kind of it. He very rarely, you know, like, I mean, there's, this, there's the same lads there all the time. Is this something that maybe Fitzmaurice has a little bit of? Because we saw Mark O'Shea being left off the team yesterday, coming in, playing very well, scoring his points and just <clears throat> showing up big time. Whatever about the tactical decision to leave him out, for Fitzmaurice to for O'Shea to have enough faith maybe in Fitzmaurice to still go out and perform for him seems pretty impressive. Yeah, and he can throw in the Donaghy situation, the fact that Donaghy had no game time and then all of a sudden, you know, he's thrown in the last day, he does well and he's given mm. what is he what does he play eighty minutes, you know, then you know, he's one of the players on the field who who is maintains where he plays. Uh going on to if we're going on to the Mayo Kerry game the thing that, that struck me most about that game was was the difference between the two sidelines, you know, coming towards the end of the game and an extra time. One of them looked like uh, there was lots of people making different decisions um, as far as whether Aidan O'Shea should go back on, Andy Moore was, was off the field. There was a lot going on in that male bench. You, the camera pans over to to the Kerry bench. It seems to be very calm. They know seem to know exactly what they're doing. And not even just because they won the game, but I don't know. It just seemed like a, a, as if they were a lot more in control of the situation than than the Mayo bench. Did you get that sense? And the one sense I got from it really was um, the trust that Fitzmaurice has put in his players and put in young lads and put in actually, you know what? Not even only the young lads, but the older lads as well, like O'Mahony. As we talked about Mark O'Shea, Donaghy coming back in, um, like he, he, the blend of mix between you know the the, the older guy and the youth was was fascinating to see, and his belief in that system. He didn't decide when the game was in the melting pot. Oh, I put on. I know, like let's say let's say Paul Galvin was still there, or let's say a couple of the old kind of stalwarts were still there. He, he he never he resisted the temptation say of putting on a player like that. Whereas if, I think Mayo went down that road. You know they went for some of the tried and tested and brought them off the bench. Whereas he put on fellas that we'd never even heard of, um, and they came on and they did a job. They got a few scores and they and they pretty much upped the tempo of the game. And you hear Mark O'Shea and Aidan O'Mahony talking about the young lads and talking about the belief <clears throat> again. 
Kerry don't know defeatist attitude. All they know is winning, mm. you know. Um, and it's been born into every single one of those fellas. And you could hear James O'Donoghue after it in an interview saying, no matter who it is up in Crow Park, we'll go up and we'll have a shootout. A shootout. Now, Fitzmaurice, of course, will have a game plan, but that's the way to do it. They don't think about losing. They think about winning. Winning every game they, they, they come into. James O'Donoghue made an interesting point after the game. He said that he admitted he was losing the battle to Keith Higgins at a half-time. He said a lot of people were giving him a lot of advice about how to deal with that. But he says, at the end of the day, you just have to go out and have a cut off him again. This is the fascinating mini battle yeah. within the game. I think, yeah, did not only end up with three goals and nine points over the two games. Yeah, two and you could say Keith Higgins played very well. <laughs> two cleanings and three goals and nine points over the course of uh, whatever it was, 160 minutes. Just thought it was a nice insight into his yeah. philosophy. It's, you could kind of imagine him getting slightly annoyed at people telling him. Mikey what to Sheehy do. coming over to tell, <laughs> tell him how to play quarter forward. Just. just Leave it with me. I got this. Yeah, yeah. I think I, <clears throat> I know myself. I've been in that situation where there's players who sort of you feel as if they are unhappy, but it just takes one score, you know, one opportunity, just stick in the back of the net, stick over the bar. That gives you the confidence, and then you know, a cornerback's in a, he's in a dreadful situation right from the <laughs> off because exactly. he can mark you for for sixty odd minutes and in the two minutes of extra time you can get a goal and a point and win the game for, and it, uh, that's all people talk about please then, stop this sympathy for Colin <laughs> that is exactly <laughs> it you could be clean and ladder next thing you end up with 2-1 I guess <laughs> so like especially when you're marking somebody like James O'Donoghue who can basically just turn the game on its head in, in, you know, in a second and Keith Higgins wasn't just marking if we're honest about it he wasn't just marking oh. James O'Donoghue he was putting out fires all over the place yeah. and uh, and in fairness to him, he did quite well, you know, in what in, in in what he was supposed to do. I know his job was to keep O'Donoghue quiet, but he was also trying to keep a few more to carry forwards quiet. He was he was you know he wasn't just like uh, Mark O'Donoghue. That's my job. He wasn't facing him up like you see a lot of uh, traditional uh, cornerbacks doing facing him up. He was going if he seen trouble, he was going and trying to sort that out. And a couple of times they were able to slip the ball in over his head, and that's how O'Donoghue got on the ball quite a bit. You're right, and that's actually sometimes because I was actually looking at it, saying actually stick with O'Donoghue, stick with him, you know. Because, but at times he was he's such an honest player, he was actually going to help other fellas out or going if the ball was slipped, he was going to that man to try and block him, you know. So he was he was he was on his own there to a certain degree. James Horn, you can see the players reacting to uh, him over the last 24 hours or a little bit longer on, on Twitter and the rest, and they. There seems to be genuine warmth about that guy. Does that make it easier, or the fact that there was that much of a bond within the team, does that make it easier or more difficult for the next man who takes over? Um, it's not going to be easy anyway, because I think you know what they've been through together. You know what I mean? What they've been through as a team, um, almost getting there, um, feeling as if they're almost there, and yet still so far away from it. Uh, people say people say to me like about it's going to be difficult for Mayo to go back. Don't have any choice. You know you have to turn up next year and you have to go at it again. That's the way it is. That's the way football is. And I don't think they'll have a big problem coming back and 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 you know trying to get over the line again. That's the that's effectively what they've signed up to. And uh, you know they won't have a lot of players who are gonna. It'll be largely again the same the same team, same panel. Uh, so the next manager coming in, I suppose, he has to be different. I think that's the biggest thing. What you want, you know, as a player, you want something a little bit different, mm. even if it's only a little. It's a, a little a, the warm up, even if the warm up's only different, or, or something. Yeah. You know, you go to your first night of training, and some, and he says, right, let's boys, we're actually not training. Tonight. We're going to jump on the bus. We're going to go karting, and we're going to do something. It just has to be something different. 
you know, and then you know you can introduce you know different things onto the field, and and uh, obviously the next person coming in, I think, is going to have well, the first thing he's going to change is going to change. Uh, I think the way Mayo play football, uh, not the way, but the way they set up to play football. And, uh, in what way? Um, I'm not 100 sure, but I, I feel as if Mayo are are one of the teams like Dublin who can man up man for man. Um, I think he's going to have to have the first, the next man in is going to have a look defensively at uh, how they're set up. That just because they've got six great, great players in defence doesn't necessarily make up a great defence. I think he's going to have to cut the cloth slightly to to suit you know uh, what teams he's playing against. Like I think gen, genuine man markers is something that he's going to have to look for. Um, horses for courses, I yeah. think. <laughs> <laughs> Not forgetting horses marky for. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I do think though that uh, in Horan's decision. Is the change that Mayo needed, you know, and and and, yeah, and, yeah. and that's not to demean what Horan no, did because I think he's done an amazing, like, extraordinary job with Mayo. But the it was getting to the stage where they were doing so much right that the team was picked about as well as it could have been picked, that it was prepared about as well as it could have been picked. You can nitpick about Horan's <clears throat> abilities to change things during games or whatever, but so much of what they were doing was right and they were still losing that that must have been so disheartening so if, if Horan stays I would say Morn and Dylan yeah I think he's you know, should probably himself. walk away yeah, yeah. and I, yeah. I think that with Horan gone now I think maybe you probably will get one more year out of Andy Morn and Alan Dillon and you know I th- like they're still they're still you know Dylan had a bad day on yeah. Saturday but they're still you know, among the best footballers they all have. And, and the, the one thing they have to do is unearth a couple of new forwards. And when you're a young lad, a new forward coming in, you want to have someone like Andy Moore or Dylan there actually able to give you a little bit of advice or whatever it is, or even just to pitch yourself against in a training game. You know, you need that little bit of bite of saying, well, I'm going to I'm gonna show this guy now what it takes. And that's what they need to do. Mayo are, I heard a fellow saying, like the resilient type of people. Like, I mean, they'll just get over it. They'll brush themselves down and they'll go at it again next year. You know, but Horan has. He, he's done a remarkable remarkable job um, because I think unlike the McGuinness situation um, and probably similar to the Gavin situation he has he has a team that have oceans of ability um, and sometimes you can fall into that trap you know and to try and t- t- tell the team and to try and you know really kind of drill home with a team of saying well actually you have massive amount of ability but also you have to actually start to do the bread and butter stuff um, you know we have to do that first. Yeah. That's, that that can get lost. Whereas the McGuinness thing is, do the bread and butter stuff first, then we'll do the other stuff. Kevin McStay has already thrown his hat in the ring anyway. If people were watching the Sunday game last night, he said he would like to think that they'll give him a phone call, uh, either a short phone call or maybe a long phone call. Yeah, I think he threw more than a hat in the ring, to be fair to him. In the sense of, of having to go with the ref as well, is that part of it? Uh at a referee thing, I, look, I, you know, he picked out certain things on the referee thing. I have to say, uh, you know, Cormac Riley, he's he's a mead man. I've played I've played senior championship games with him. He has a tendency to really annoy some players, but he does let things flow. Like I mean, games can get fairly hairy, and it's just like let it at it. And you know, it's it's six of one, half a dozen the other. There was definitely definitely some decisions that were that were in favour of Kerry, but you'd have to go through the tape and sit down and go, was that a free? Was that a free? You know, like I mean, Mayo just can't be blaming referees. I would have thought that, uh, and James Warren wasn't. In fairness, no. afterwards, I, I would have thought the bigger deal is 
the fact that the ref had to be escorted off the pitch again. We see this in GA a lot. We've been talking to the GA today, and they say that if it's going, to, if it's in the referee's report, it'll be dealt with via that mechanism. If it's not in there, the CCC can still act on it. Now, the pitch invader himself, meanwhile, is going around. Uh, still flaunting selfies. himself. Selfies. He was in the Independent today, say, uh, being interviewed and saying, "I want just wanted to ask him what he was at." Um, which <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe you should be keeping the head down at this point. But uh, it's not good. It doesn't. It's not, yeah. that's ridiculous. It's not good. It's not yeah, good. and like I mean, they, they shouldn't have even been interviewed. You know, like that's that's just like why even Giving waste the time to it. But like I mean, absolutely. Like I mean, but but the, the 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 more the worry was again as we spoke was just about this fellas coming in off the bench, uh, yeah. water boys. Different lads getting involved very, very quickly uh, in in fracas. That's 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 the situation that also has to stop because they they have serious amount of responsibility. A fella in a crowd could be fueled up on a load of drink and you don't know. But a guy who's meant to be standing on the sideline, standing there as part of a backroom team, and he's coming in getting involved with players. What that, more can the GA do to stamp all that out? Because they brought in the limited numbers of backroom team allowed on the sideline. They've banned supporters in the past for coming on what else can they actually do I don't know if they can do much else I suppose obviously in a big game like that it helps if it's in Crow Park I think it's easier managed in Crow Park um, I just think when we go down to provincial venues like that, that there's more of a tendency for this to happen mm. probably even people's mindset they feel as if it's maybe okay because it's like a local sort of it's like a, a local club match, club match that we see it that we see this in club matches all the time doesn't make it right but when you bring it down to provincial venues the, you know the atmosphere almost changes and people feel as if they have a need to do that and it doesn't look good it really doesn't look good I mean the may or may not have been any harm in what he was doing but the very fact he was on the field you know makes him guilty of something and it doesn't look good. Uh, even Conor Grady, even though he did show great pace getting off the field, it still doesn't look good. The fact that he has to run for yeah. cover, like you know, it's not, it's not nice. The re- he wasn't at fault for 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 Mayo losing the game. Mayo had umpteen chances to win the game. Uh, Kerry, you know, were smarter. Uh, deserved, yeah. yeah, and deserved it probably. In the end. We haven't talked about Dublin properly yet. Uh, Jason Sherlock on uh, our second captain's championship show yesterday. Anthony kind of bristled at my suggestion that there might have been overconfidence in the Dublin team. He says that this was always a charge level against them when his Dublin team lost big games. Mm. Is it fair to raise that idea? We, uh, we and people will say whatever they want to say about last week, but we actually raised the, the, the theory last week was about the mentality of Dublin and, and not regarding this overconfidence or whatever it was or you know a slight, a slight maybe an arrogance coming into a game. Dublin have always had a bit of a, a, a pep in their step. They've always had their kind of chest set in the game. And we would have always felt, and I'm sure Rushim would, would attest to this, that if you can get under the skin, if you can get ahead of them, you quiet, quiet in the hill, all of a sudden they might start looking around at each other. And then you really find out, well, who are the leaders in this team? I think the, the, the big question over Dublin before this game was, how will they actually deal with a situation such as Donegal? A situation that's primed. I spoke about the Monaghan thing and we spoke about, oh, well, Monaghan were playing a defensive system. Yet James McCarthy was able to run through two players and then hand pass the ball off to Bernard Brogan for a vital score. Didn't happen yesterday. Ran into players, ball was stripped or he got bumped straight back where he came from. Because you're coming up against a system and coming up against a bunch of players who know how to play it and who are very, very cool and calm and very, very aggressive with anything that comes into that area. Dublin were surviving for the first 20-odd minutes and hitting long-range mm-hmm. scores. Nothing came from inside. Absolutely zero. There was no tap-overs. It was all Paul Flynn with outside of the right foot. No, some fantastic scores. But 
When the pressure really started to apply, Flynn had a shot at about 28, 29 minutes, which skewed off his outside of his mm. boot, and Durkin actually caught it, and the crowd was a big ole. Now, he did hit a subsequent one after that, but it's percentages. It comes down to percentages after that. McGuinness was saying, we'll just let them keep shooting from there, let them keep shooting from there. And the big, big fact, and the big, the major worrying fact for Dublin is the way that every single one of them just thought, we'll go on the front foot, we'll go on the front foot, we're going to get plenty of chances. Everyone, especially the half-back line, McCaffrey, McCarthy, Johnny Cooper, everyone was kind of looking to go. Even for the first goal McHugh got, if you watch it, as the ball breaks, McCaffrey's there, but he actually starts to move away from the play as if we're going to get this and I'm going to be on the attack. Next thing, the ball didn't come and McHugh actually ran past him as he was going the other way and McHugh gets the ball, puts it back in the net. The last goal, tracking back, McHugh is coming, Thompson is going down the right-hand side, McHugh's extending the pitch, McHugh's running down the centre of the field, Jack McCarthy is actually looking at him, he's in line with him, he's actually looking, McHugh just tears off, McCarthy stays with his man, never went with the danger man, the ball comes across, back at the end, that was a decisive goal, yeah. really. So, that is just a mentality that kicks in of saying, don't, you're not getting back into the danger zone, you think that there's going to be another gear that you can press, you know, we, we will be able to get scores, and then once Donegal got ahead, so not it. quite an overconfidence, but maybe a not lack an of over, mental preparedness. In not, a, not an overconfidence, and probably you ca- probably can't say mental frailty. The, the the big question mark for me about the whole thing is that you know there's a possibility that people may have seen this coming down the track if Donegal get off to a great start and then try and hold on to that yeah. league. But in actual fact, Dublin got off to a great start. Okay, they were, mm. they were kicking long range points. I guarantee in the in the Dublin psyche they were saying let's kick some long range points and then Donegal have to come out yeah and the, you know they have to come out and they have to we'll have a bit of room inside but the next then for the next five ten minutes after that initial period of dominance Donegal uh, Dublin coughed the ball up an awful lot in the, in the tackle which we haven't seen for quite some time uh, wrong players getting on the end of shots and when it started to go wrong it sort of all started to unravel. Um, but that's what we were talking about last week in the thing of you have a game plan right and everyone knows okay you've certain shooters but then as that pressure starts to get applied it goes out the window one example ball got kicked out very very vital period Macaulay caught it over Christy Toy's head bounced down came down and was on a run two Dublin players came at him Alan Brogan came at him looking for the ball he bounced it he kind of kept going solo with his head down Chrissy Toy came back made all the way back up and got a great tackle in and, and, and broke the ball and Dublin, Donegal went down and got a score now it's just something small in a, in a massive game over 70 odd minutes but it just shows that Macaulay that time who, isn't a, who should have laid the ball off you know he literally ran into a player he just took the, the wrong option you know, the wrong, wrong option at a time when Dublin needed a score. And what I'm saying is there is is that certain players, you know, you, you feel like, oh, I need to do something. Well, actually, hold on, stick with the game plan here, which is what Donegal did. Yeah, it's not, it's not mental frailty if you make players do the thing that they're not very good at doing. And that's, ba- that's basically what Donegal did. You know, mm. it's, it's not, you know, mental frailty suggests that uh, that they have it all in their locker, you know, that the, the Dublin half back line are a brilliant defensive unit, but that they just the took their eye off the ball. Yeah, yeah. Jim Gavin picked a team with guys in the half back line who were brilliant footballers who want to bomb forward. forward. Like, that's the team he picked, and the players have a skill set that that's their skill set. What Donegal did 
was that it, they made those players play a game that they didn't want to play. And that's not mental frailty, that's just, that's just brilliant. Does that mean that Ga- Gavin was totally outfoxed here? Is, is that fair to say? He, I think he, it's fair to say he was outfoxed, yeah. Uh, I think one of the things that Dublin, I, I imagine Dublin would do going into the game was to push up on Ray McHugh. Uh, like Cork did a couple of years ago on his, on the brother Mark and were owning the game for 35 minutes and uh, then decided to retreat give Mark McHugh some influence on the game give him some ball he was going forward he was linking up with his forwards really and truly after Ryan McHugh's ghosted because that's what he does he just runs that ghosted, lane yeah. he just runs that lane you know whether it be on the left hand side or whether it be on the right hand side doesn't really matter he, the, there's not a real onus on him to pick anybody up at any at any stage. He's able to ghost into those positions. He's able to take a chance. You know, if if the ball's in the middle of the field and he feels as if, right, this time I'm going to go. He doesn't go all the time, but this time he's going to go. He just goes. But I don't know if they were... Like, Leo McLuhan was being picked up by Johnny Cooper. And Johnny Cooper went everywhere where Leo McLuhan... Like, if Leo McLuhan was back in his own mm. cornerback position... Johnny Cooper was beside him, right? So that's your six, say, essentially. Okay, you're, you're, you're the man with six on his back, but he's not playing six, right? So Philly McMahon kind of came out and was playing in that six role. But then he also started to bomb forward. He Like, he got a score. He kicked another wide. He, he was kind of... So everyone... And it, it's like one of these... When sometimes it's 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 like this is working, and all of a sudden Donegal are giving you the ball, and you have a bit of space. Well, everyone's getting on the ball. Like if you look at Dublin, everyone's getting a bit of a touch, and everyone was kind of moving around. And Donegal were waiting for them, but everyone's going, actually, this is this isn't too bad. So you get you get kind of caught into a false yeah. sense of security in the sense of we're okay here. Next thing, a, a kick out comes, and you're standing, and you're looking at the kick out. The ball is coming, and Ryan McHugh has just gone off your left shoulder or whoever it was. Last goal, McCauley's looking at the ball. The kick out comes and Neil Gallagher just goes in behind him. One flick on and there is no half-back line there. So whereas before you have a half-back line coming, looking, coming onto a breaking ball, winning it and driving, there's nothing there. For the last goal, it was four on three, Donegal on yeah. Dublin defenders. Four on three. Like, usually, like if it, as, as Marv said, if it was six on three... Uh, you think, okay, we need a goal here, but we've, you know, we'll try and flick. four and three is literally well. On here, you have a shot actually because I'm, I'm, I've <laughs> four and three is ridiculous. Goals. I mean, mm. you if you've three forwards on six defenders, as Anthony's saying there, that's you, you've that's a half chance. And the only reason why it was four and three was because McCauley was out to run sixty yards to, to get, get back, back in. It was yeah, actually you know? yeah, and that was forty nine minutes gone, twenty minutes to go. I think the only player who Dublin player maybe comes out of it well is Jer Brennan, who's now in the Andy Reid role of <laughs> yeah, not yeah. being in the team. <laughs> the <less> he <laughs> plays, the He's actually he the greatest footballer that yeah. anyone's ever seen, but he was yeah. missed, all right. There's a tweet here just to finish things off here from JJ. Lads, there's something cool about seeing 29 giant athletes battle it out and seeing little Ryan McHugh decide <laughs> the results. It's incredible when you look, you look at him in the post-match interview and you're thinking, this guy's a kid. Oh, it's incredible when you when you meet him face to face and you think there is absolutely nothing to him whatsoever. And uh, you know what? It sort of restores your faith in football because it does. You don't have to be six foot five and built like a brick shit house. You don't. You know, you can. Uh, there's room in the game. There's always been room in the game. Helps when you're for a bit the, like me, obviously. Ocean for, plus, oh, yeah, yeah. more yeah. quick. Yeah. 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 Present <laughs> company excluded here, of course. <laughs> oh, I don't know what to say about that. But there's room for the for the Kieran Murphys. There's room for the Peter Canavans and the Ray McHughes in this game, which is great. Yeah, room for everybody. We'll leave it on that note. I'm looking forward to the uh, prediction of the tactical setup of the Donegal team, machine. Uh, <laughs> well, we're now, there's no more predictions. Can we just take predictions out? Predictions are out, yes. <laughs> yes. Predictions General trends will be analysed. Anthony Oshin, brilliant. Thank you. Cheers. 
modern day coaching. What is it all about? Paralysis by analysis. Infiltrated by a load of spoofers and bluffers. Fellas with earpieces stuck in their ears. Psychologists, Clyde Woodward, statisticians, dietitians, and as Mick O'Connell alluded to, God save us. Something we touched on with Anthony and Ushin there, it, I think everybody's been talking about the importance of Jim McGuinness and of Eamon Fitzmaurice and we, you know, with the proviso that we don't want to... So Jim, Jim Gavin isn't suddenly a bad manager and James Oren certainly isn't a bad manager, but the whole cult of the coach, cult of the manager, it's a big thing in American sports. I remember mentioning this to Ken a few weeks ago that sports media seem to talk about Brendan Rodgers a lot more than about... Daniel Sturridge and Ken yeah. said yeah but that's because that's, he's the face of the operation he's the guy that you hear from and also it is clear from the weekend that he's pretty important maybe there isn't I was thinking at one point over the last weeks maybe there's a disproportionate amount of coverage of managers but you can see what McGuinness did and even the reaction to James Horn's resignation I saw Aidan O'Shea and others tweeting genuine really warm feelings towards mm. uh, towards uh, Horan yeah. after his after his which couldn't be faked it's yeah some, some case you have to say something like yeah that. exactly you know like, I mean what it, well, like McGuinness obviously is one of the outstanding examples I think in world sport that I'm aware of of coaching at an unbelievably high level I happen to think Fritz is a totally it's a totally different challenge completely Eamon Fitzmaurice and McGuinness we're left with though I think the two best managers in the game because Fitzmaurice has done an extraordinary job absolutely brilliant uh, and when you like watching the game on Saturday evening uh, it's it's that ad- that's that the ability to adapt you know that he he went out and uh, everything centred around James O'Donoghue up until the uh, the Mayo the drawn game uh, last week mm-hmm. he sees Donoghue works there's no ego about it. It's like Donny works. Let's just keep hammering it. You know, there's like there's a weakness there. Let's just pick, keep picking the thread. Um, I just think he's been brilliant, and I think he speaks in just the right way and is understated, unassuming, and brilliant. And I think that uh, there is a cut of the manager there. I think Ken's point from a couple of weeks ago is absolutely right. It might even be more so in the GA in that we just don't see the players, and the players are happy enough not really to say a whole lot when they are interviewed. But you know, the managers are there before the game after the game it just so happens we're we're blessed to have some of the best managers ever currently operating I think and Oshie McConville has revealed the secret to great management bring the lads go-karting yeah go-karting yeah bowling this, you know a lot of people you know ask about you know how have Crossing Lane won all these all Irelands? it's just basically knowing a lot of really good leisure centres just going doing some paintballing yeah but no it's, it's almost exclusively bowling I think. Right, okay. I, th- I think he's, he said go-karting there just to throw other clubs off the set. <laughs> you know, the secret. He's not going to reveal the secret. But yeah, it's... it's maybe it's a little bit of Quasar, maybe? Yeah. Uh, Did you know, Quasar exist out of Dublin? It was certainly a big thing in, in Dublin in my youth. <laughs> Sega Rally. Just huge Sega Rally games. Yeah. Inter-squad Sega Rally games. All right, Jerry Thorny, Irish Times rugby correspondent, joins us to talk, Jerry, about Munster, this embarrassing leak of player reviews to the players. But first of all, the Johnny Sexton injury... News of that today. Looks as though he may have a broken jaw and could be out for well, a couple of months is what's being mentioned. I don't know if it might be a bit less than that. This happened against Toulon in a game on Saturday night. A really, really nasty injury that you wouldn't wish upon anybody. But if it was going to happen, could you argue that maybe this isn't the worst timing? 
No, I wouldn't imagine him having to be fed through a straw pureed food for the second time in his career or something he's particularly looking forward to, um, least of all with the delights of Parisian food. But if we were going to order a, an injury made to order for the November test, this is probably it. He'd be able to maintain, I would imagine, a fair degree of aerobic fitness and whatnot and uh, without the contact work until he's ready to do so and, and should, be, in theory, be back. I mean, Brian, I'm just going to seem to recall being back in 20 days from a fractured jaw and an operation that he suffered against Argentina in 2010 missed the first Claremont game the away defeat and then was back for the home match 20 days after Argentina death but then as we all know he's a bit of a freak and Johnny Sexton should certainly be back like four kind of six six weeks maybe six to eight weeks tops and that should put him nicely in time for November test and not being as frazzled as he would have been this time a year ago I suppose the initial fears would have been that there could be a problem with the November internationals, but the time frame you're talking about is is fine there. I mean, I presume Joe Schmidt would be, seeing as he he brought him on tour to Argentina, he'd be dying to have him back for the November internationals anyway. Yeah, there aren't an awful lot of quality number tens around, and that's why Johnny Sexton is um, so coveted and so well paid. Uh, it's just another position with we come find experienced quality number 10s um, and of course you know he's been through worse before I seem to remember him leaving a pitch in a warm-up match before touring Tomlin Park having um, a, a drainage procedure and an abscess and place had to be removed I mean imagine it wrecked his head but throughout it all he always went on playing and was brave to a fault um, and that's the kind of nature he's a tough he's a tough lad and that's, I wouldn't imagine he'll have any mental hangover effect or, or psychological or physical when it comes to the November test The other story Jerry, that um, of interest I think at the moment is related to Munster and this is that this player review document as the Sunday Independent reported yesterday um, was, was well the players managed to get a look at what the management thought of them uh, can you tell us what's going on here? Um, I believe an email with the weekly schedule was sent out last Wednesday for this coming week and by accident um, an attachment included the coaches' um, thoughts or review on each player which they would update on a kind of weekly basis every five or six five or six players would be reviewed every week and that would be updated onto this spreadsheet of you know, coaches' analysis of players and players want to know the contents. They go to the coach and they're told what you know how they how, how it is the coaches feel they're progressing. Um, but this it's not it's certainly not meant to have been witnessed by every single player. The contents regarding all their fellow squad members. So it's a very embarrassing and awkward position for Anthony Foley and the new management ticket there. I presume Munster will will try to play this down. I mean, they're they're, they're not going to try to make a big deal about it. But is it a big deal? You said it is an issue now for Anthony Foley so early on in his management. Oh, it's not helpful, you know what I mean? I mean, can you imagine? Well, I can only guess that the the degree of awkwardness and embarrassment amongst the management of this actually was leaked and all the players read it and this came to light that all the players had seen it. And players, players do kind of share information vis-a-vis contract situations and so forth, mm. but it's not something that's meant to be read by every single squad member about every other player in the squad, plus the thoughts on how they're progressing as a player and so forth. Um... My understanding is that they didn't actually have an emergency general meeting about it or whatever, that the IRFU were brought in and they were informed of what happened, that it had been a mess up. I mean, it's a wonder thing that this won't happen more often, I suppose, and maybe they do, I don't know, but like it, it seems to have just been a tactical issue that it can very easily happen around email. And, and But I, like, I don't think it's helpful for Anthony Foley, and particularly a new coaching ticket, Brian Walsh there, Ian Costello, Jerry Flannery, that is an issue they have to address just on the eve of the start of the new season. But I think like a lot of these things, apparently they're going to meet today as they would normally. No doubt it will come up for discussion. I would imagine that the likes of Paul O'Connell and Peter Manny will seek to try and put this past them. And like a lot of these things, it'll hinge to a large degree on unresolved and how well Munster do in the first three or four weeks of the season. You know what I mean? I mean, if three of their first four games are at home, 
if they go into that Leinster match in the early October with four wins out of four, this will will have largely been forgotten about. If they lose a couple of matches, then it may becomes more of an issue. I don't know. It depends how they handle it within. We know Munster of Yore, and they tend to treat adversity pretty well and uh, produce a kind of us and them mentality, siege mentality. It could go that way as well, but it certainly is going to be a test of Anthony Foley's man management skills and the entire coaching ticket and how they handle this. And you'd have to wonder about the impact it might have on players. I mean, I guess seeing quite baldly whether they're considered first or second choice, I mean, they might know that from what's going on in the training ground anyway, but when you hear that apparently one individual, there's a question as to why he's in the squad, at all raised by management, if it if there's if it's personalised to that extent, that's where maybe you would feel that it could be tricky for a couple of the players in there. You know, I I would imagine that's potentially more damaging, depending on what was said. But if there are personalised comments about players, that's potentially even more damaging than their exact contractual positions, which, like I said, they might be willing to share with teammates anyway to a degree. Yeah, I presume they would be. But if there if 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 there is very personalised stuff saying about their flaws, the personality, character defects, whatever, like as seen by management or how they're progressing or not progressing, that uh, I mean, some players would like, I presume, would like forthright answers from coaching staff about where they're at um, more than others. But I doubt any of them would want all their squad members to read it. Monster, I guess, is a double error here in that um, they. It happened, it, it was released to the players and it ends up in the media, so we all know about it now. Similarly, yeah. the Johnny Sexton news has been in the yeah. media as well. Is that part of the issue, that whatever about these things, as you say, these things might have happened before to teams, we don't know, but we're actually re- we're all reading about it now. Uh, I think you're right. I think it was a very valid point. Um, whatever about the Johnny Sexton issue. The only thing I would say is, yeah, the Johnny Sexton transfer saga coming to light and, and he was on the verge of coming home is probably possibly not helpful for Leinster and the RFU where they were at in their negotiations. So they, that, would, that would worry Leinster hugely that that was leaked. Similarly, Anthony Foley and the new coaching ticket must be concerned that they have a mole in their camp that's leaking information, very sensitive, highly sensitive information such as this. But then again, every single member of the squad and coaching ticket would have come and back room staff presumably come to know about this own. The only thing... He would, say, and that would be a concern for Foley. He must be worried now that there is somebody um, inside his camp who's divulging information like this, breaking ranks, as it were. And that would be arguably perhaps his biggest concern now that the dust has, to some degree, started to settle on this within the camp. But as I said, the IRFU were brought into this so conceivably the leak came from without Munster. Certainly, I think Foley would hope that's the case. All right, Jerry, brilliant stuff. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks. Flame hair, flame hair, flame hair, truth, Mr. Ken Early. Mr. Ken Early. Mr. Ken Early. Every so often I'm on the bus and I suddenly turn around to bite someone. John Hayes, I'm talking about, Aaron. Yeah. John Hayes. Now, I always thought that was ridiculous. He had won the victory over himself. He loved Brendan Rogers. That's where it goes from. Thanks a lot, Pepe. Fair to say, anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. Let me show you right now for you give it up. I should clarify, just to go back to the start of that interview there, that it would be better for Johnny Sexton not to have broken his jaw at all. I hate to think he's listening on, what, you absolute idiot. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's pretty bad. So uh, hopefully he does recover very quickly. And um, It's an it. extraordinarily selfish thing to do, but unfortunately... Uh, sports fans can be quite selfish about these what things. What games will he be out for? Forget about the actual personal pain or anything. Yeah. He's going but a lot of people have been tweeting us at second captains with uh, nicknames, Murph. We were talking about the purple people, people eaters, and 
the likes earlier on yeah. for the Donegal defence, in particular the two McGee brothers. I'm not going to be. I'm not going to lie to you. The response hasn't exactly. Uh, the, we've had higher quality tweets in the past. Is all I'm going to say. I've got a lot of faith in our listeners. I'm not sure if they've delivered here, but I'm going to rip through a couple. Mm. The natural disasters, blood and thunder, on. earthquake and typhoon, seek and destroy, sons of anarchy. Yeah. They're quite elemental, there. actually. Yeah, there is. There's a, it's basically bad weather. Uh, if you see the McGee's coming, bad weather is far, not too far behind. Irish Times Second Captain's Football co- Podcast is coming out later on. We're going to talk about Falcao moving to Manchester United by the looks of things. Ken is out talking to Shea Given at the moment and to Martin O'Neill at the Ireland press conference ahead of the friendly against Oman and the qualifier against Georgia next weekend. Finally, Ireland get to play a competitive game. It's bizarre. And Martin O'Neill and Roy Keane seems like they've been managing for a few years at this stage. If you miss any of the Second Captain's 250 shows from last week, including our David Bedeal interview, which you put out on Friday, you can check it all out on the usual website, irishtimes.com forward slash second captains. Follow us on Twitter at second captains and follow us on facebook.com forward slash second captains. We've enjoyed bringing you today's show. Thanks, Kieran. Thank you all. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you later. It's the second time it's gone off. Never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. 